I believe something about you, and I would say that you believe this about yourself as well. You want to be used for the good of others. I believe that about you because it's something that the Bible actually says about believers in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let me break that, that text down. Let me, let me rephrase that text. God has given every single person something inside of themselves. We, we refer to these things as, as spiritual gifts. They, he's given each person a way of doing things for the good of others. Everybody who is a believer in Christ has been given by the Spirit a way of doing things for the good of others. That's why you and I feel that desire to have our lives be used for the good of others. It's something that God put in us. Now, when I talk about a, a, a way of doing things or I talk about a gift, I am not talking about the ability to throw a ball or, or the, even the ability to sing or to run fast. These are talents. And, and yes, they're given by God, but, but they have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. They're more about hard work or, or genetics than the Holy Spirit. My friend Rich has run a marathon an hour faster than me. Does that mean that he's more spiritual? That's a talent. That's not a gift. If it were a spiritual gift, then I'd be in trouble because 12 years ago, I ran marathons over an hour faster than I do now. And so I'd be going the wrong direction spiritually if this was a spiritual gift. So when I say a skill or a gift, we're not talking about the ability to throw a baseball or, or shoot a basketball or, or to sing or, or the ability to even do your work well. These are talents. We're talking about a gift from the Holy Spirit. A gift from the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, there are four different times. Four different times that various lists of spiritual gifts are mentioned. Twice in 1 Corinthians 12 that we just read, in Ephesians 4, and in Romans chapter 12. You can go back and look at these for yourself later and see the various gifts that are in there, leadership and, and hospitality and, and, and the gift of service and the gift of encouragement, the gift of generosity, and so many others. God tells us these gifts are specifically for the good of the church, good, the good of the church, which is why I can say about you, if you are a believer in God, there is something in you that, that, that you have a desire, a twinge maybe, a, a, an impression that you want your life to be used for the good of others. You feel that way because that's what the Holy Spirit put on your heart and because that's how God that, that's what God has implanted in you. Something else the Bible tells us also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about these gifts. Chapter 12, the first verse. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
I do not want you to be uninformed. So, so this whole section he's about to talk about is about spiritual gifts. And then verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now continuing down to verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. It if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an ear, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were, were a single member... Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Therefore, listen to this, yet the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That means we can't live without them. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it, and God has appointed in this in the church. This tells me, this scripture tells us that spiritual things inside of you that God put there, they are put there by the Holy Spirit. And they are put there for the blessing of God's body, which verse 28 says is the church. These verses also tell us that, 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 that the spiritual things that God put inside of us, that they are to be used for the good of others. These things that are to be used for the good of others, that they are all equal. That they are all equal. That means if the spiritual thing inside of me is preaching, that it is not more important than the thing that God put inside of you, which may be encouragement, or may be helps, or may be generosity. These verses also show us that if any of us are not using these spiritual gifts that God put us in us, then the entire church suffers. We need to start looking at spiritual gifts in this way. We need to start seeing the importance of every single member being in an environment in which they can utilize their spiritual gifts. And that if it's not happening, then we are all suffering. The entire church. If Pastor Smith moved to town and Pastor Smith had the gift of preaching, but Pastor Smith said when he got there after just a week or two, after preaching a week or two and everyone was like impressed with his sermons, he said, you know what? I'm not going to preach anymore. And week after week, he, he refused to preach. 
He came to church. He was a part of the church. He, he sat on the committees, but, but his gift was preaching, but he refused to preach. The church would cry foul. The pastor is hurting our church. He's not using his gifts. But if quiet Johnny moved to town and quiet Johnny had the gift of service, but quiet Johnny sat in the back row or maybe in the south porch and he never used the gift, not because he didn't want to use the gift, but because no one knew he had that gift because quiet Johnny was too quiet to speak up in a large church. No one would cry foul. They just let quiet Johnny sit by his quiet self in the back row. But our God tells us, our God tells us that quiet Johnny not using his gift of service is just as much a disservice as Pastor Smith refusing to use his gift of preaching. And until we start looking at every member, until we start looking at, at ourselves in that way, then we will never truly be the body of Christ. Not the way it was intended. Now, every pastor makes this statement. Every pastor at some point in their ministry or makes a statement of this effect. If all of us are not using our gifts for the good of the body of Christ, the church suffers. You probably heard me say that. You probably heard other pastors say that. If all of us are not using our gifts, then the body suffers. But we don't actually, I mean, we believe that theoretically, but, but we don't actually believe that because what you actually believe, you do. For instance, I have some family members that think that coronavirus is a bit of a, of a hoax. You know what they don't do? They don't wear their masks. I believe it's a very serious thing. And so, you know what I do? I wear my mask. We, we don't do things if we don't truly believe them. But if we really believed them, we would do these things. And so you probably heard pastors say this. Every one of you is important to the church and every one of you needs the gifts. And yet we let quiet Johnny sit in the back row, not knowing his gifts. And we don't acknowledge that because he's doing that, the whole church is suffering. But here's the other problem. The reason why we don't really believe this is because we don't know how to believe it. In a church our size, the Spencerville Church, I'll just use for instance, of over 2,000 members, we don't know how in our structure to make it a reality that everybody's gift is important. I don't know how to utilize everyone's gifts. And I would dare say that every pastor of a large church faces similar challenges if they were honest. What if 50 people in our church had the the spiritual gift of teaching, to teach spiritual things, not just to teach, but to teach spiritual things in a profound way that impacted people's lives and their hearts and their minds. We don't have 50 rooms in our church for 50 Sabbath schools, for 50 teachers to teach. We don't even have 15 rooms for Sabbath schools for, for people to, to have a regular opportunity for those 50 people to teach. Wait, wait, 
We don't even have 10 rooms to make sure that all those 50 teachers have an opportunity to utilize their spiritual gifts. Or what about the quiet Johnnies that will never raise their hand to say that I have the gift of service in a large group? The only way they'll be known to serve is if someone asks them. But who is that going to be? The way we're structured, if we're, if we're only coming and going on Sabbath morning and that's the only time people see people, I'm not going to say a name, but, but I have someone's face in my mind right now who says not more than two or three words, but is faithful every single Sabbath. And you know what? I don't have any idea what their spiritual gift is. They come in, they say, hello, pastor. They leave, they say, thank you, pastor. I don't see them talking to anybody. They're quiet. They're reserved. How is that person's spiritual gift going to be known, acknowledged in the context of our large body where we're all coming and going? I could go on and on. The Bible tells us that every gift is indispensable. That, that none of them can be cast aside. That, that every member of the body and that if anybody in the body that, that, that just because someone says, well, my gift doesn't matter. God says, you can't say that. Just like the eye can't say I don't matter. Or just like the ear can't say I don't matter. Or just like the nose says I can't, I don't matter. You matter. You're attached to the body. How do we utilize all these gifts? This is the last of our sermon series on small groups. Again, as I mentioned in our welcome Next week, we're going to be beginning a sermon series on the seven churches in the book of Revelation. I hope that you will join us for that. But I believe that small groups, the questions I just answered, how do we really become a church where we believe honestly that everybody's gifts matters? How do we become a church where, where truly everybody has the opportunity or is in a position for their gift to matter? The answer, I believe, to these questions that I asked, and so many more questions I've been asking about this, is small groups. Where we have gone wrong is this, is in the assumption that a spiritual gift, in order to be good for the body, has to be used in the context of the entire body. Oh, they teach? They need to teach a big Sabbath school class or preach the sermon. Oh, they have the gift of service? They need to be part of the diaconate or on the community services committee. Oh, they have the gift of hospitality. They need to be a greeter. Oh, they have the gift of intercession. They need to pray up front for the worship service. Oh, they have the gift of prophetic insight. And I don't mean necessarily foreseeing the future, but, 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 but discernment and conviction. Oh, put them on the board. But, but what if all these things, God wasn't meaning for them to necessarily be used in that Everybody has to see context. But what if these things were, were important and when God gave them to the body, they were so that they could be used just for the few? Large churches allow people to hide or they hide people. And that means that, spirit, that spiritual things that God put in each and every believer in Christ each and every person that is sitting in the pew can get hidden and be okay. Your gift 
Maybe something that someone just three seats away from you needs. But in our context, we would never know that. Your, your gift of hospitality, your, your, your gift of mercy might be something that that person that's struggling or feeling so alone right now needs. But in our context, we'd never know that. Churches. God created churches to be the breeding ground for the training ground for each body part to be used to the level that God desired it to be used. But our modern churches, our modern churches are built on the assumption that God works through a few talented, impressive people and we give all the other people comfortable seats from which they can be blessed by what God does through these leaders and these influencers. And that has resulted in Christians who think they are really worshiping, who think they're worshiping God with all their hearts, but really they aren't. Please hear this. I want it to land with with a level of some conviction on all our hearts. This is not your fault. This is my fault. This is all of our faults that that we've allowed this to take place. That we've allowed us to to be in worship. We love the corporate worship. I can't wait. I was watching a video of, uh, of us singing a hymn at one of our Christmas services, and I, and I got tears in my eyes, and tears began to run down my cheeks. I can't wait till we, till we have those moments. But, but we've created that as the, the sole totality of worship. And, and I've allowed us, and, and we've allowed ourselves to think that that's what worship is. But your life is meant for the good of others. Look at Romans chapter 12. Your life is meant for the good of others. And Romans chapter 12 tells us that unless we are using our lives in that way, then we are not really worshiping. Romans 12, remember there's there's four places where there's the, the talk of the list of spiritual gifts. Twice in 1 Corinthians 12, in Ephesians chapter 4, and then also here in Romans chapter 12. So this is talking about spiritual gifts. And the Bible says, Therefore, or I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then drop down to verse 3. Okay, what's our spiritual worship? Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many, many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one to another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Let us use them. What is our spiritual act of worship? Romans chapter 12 says, says, present your bodies as living sacrifices, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Your spiritual act of worship is not to come solely and gather. That is an aspect of worship. And gather and sit and listen to a few people or hear a few prayers or, or be blessed by a few talented singers or musicians. Our spiritual act of worship is that plus 
are spiritual gifts and God using them for the benefit of others. A member who is not using their spiritual gifts is not living out a life of worship. A member who is not using their gifts to bless others that are sitting around them every single Sabbath in church is not actually fully participating in worship because we belong to each other. Each one has been given the manifestation of the Spirit, the Bible says, for the common good, for the good of others. But in our church, our size, we're built in such a way that it's not your fault that you just sit there, that you come, you sit, you get up, and you leave. Or occasionally, maybe you do a task around the church, but you're not actually using your spiritual gift. We're not structured that way. I foresee that there's only two ways that, that we can get to that place where, where everyone is pushed into a position where they have to use their spiritual gifts. One of two ways. The first is that we break apart completely and we become a bunch of little churches, a bunch of house churches, a bunch of smaller church groups. Or we can remain large while growing small. How could the church in Jerusalem be so large and yet still be utilizing people's spiritual gifts? Because they met from house to house through small groups. How did the Methodist church explode in the 1700s? The Methodist movement, I should say, because it wasn't a church yet. The Methodist movement explode under John Wesley. And how did people stay connected? It was through their small societies, their, their, their class accountability classes, their small gatherings of people. How did Ellen White say that, that, that large churches should be so that, so that we continue to be all that God called us to be? She says, She was shown by one who cannot err that in large churches, and she was shown this many times, should gather people together in small groups to serve one another and those outside the church, to encourage and study and serve one another. How do we as a large church prepare for the end times? Again, from the Council of Mrs. White, in the last days we will be scattered and we will meet in smaller companies. So either we break up and become smaller or we remain large like the church in Jerusalem but we decide we're going to meet from house to house in smaller groups. Because it's in the context of small gatherings that each person, no matter what their personality, will find an environment to use their gifts. I believe this to be true because because I've seen it with my own eyes. Let me give you two examples, one local and one from a previous church I served at in Georgia, and then I'm going to be done. Let's start with the church in Georgia. I was a pastor at a large church, and and we had a school connected to our church. And there was a teacher's aide that was at this school. 
And this teacher's aide was uh, kind, but incredibly quiet. So quiet that, that, in fact, she made me a little bit uncomfortable. I couldn't read her. I couldn't tell. Does she like me? Does she dislike me? I would say hi, and she'd always be polite, but, but I never heard her say more than a word or two. When there was different activities at the school, I was the youth and children's pastor at that church, and so I was there often. She would always be there working in the background, doing some things. And, and if I were to assess her in that moment, I would say that her, her gifts were the gifts of helps or the gifts of service. Being then an unordained minister, I experienced what many pastors experience. I was invited by the conference to consider moving to another church, to get two churches, in fact. And when I say I was invited, they invited me to consider it with the expectation to say yes. And so I, for the first time, became the head pastor of two churches. And at one of these churches was this lady, Lori, this aide that worked at our local Adventist school. And in this church, where only 25 to 30 people, maybe on a good day, 40 people came, attended, I discovered something. Lori was not only had the gifts of service, but Lori actually had the gift of leadership. She was not just a bit of a leader. She was a key leader. She was a mover and a shaker within that church. What I know about Lori is this. After having gotten to know her for a couple years, serving there at that church with her, that in a large church like ours, her leadership skills, her ability to, to influence people, to get people to take up a cause and run with it, her ability to, to organize people around an idea would not be discovered. In the larger school setting in which there's many people and many leaders, Lori just hung back and I thought, this lady just seems awkwardly quiet. But what I discovered in that little church is that she was a leader. But in a big church, she would never stand up and say, choose me, I'm a leader. She would never get up and, and, and make a bold speech in a room of maybe more than 10 or 15, maybe 20 people. But in a small church, in a group of 25 or 30 people or sometimes less, that thing, that, that ability to lead that God put inside of her was used for the common good of that church. In a church like ours, if she was not put into a small group, if she was a member at our church, if she was not put into a small group, her spiritual gift of leadership would likely sit in the back row with quiet Johnny and we would never know because she was quiet Lori. That's one example, but let's move even closer to home for my next example. Don DeCuna, and he is probably shocked to hear his name right now. I didn't ask him permission to, to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Don has been a member of our church for I think over three years now, or about three years. I see him in the halls, smile at each other, say hello. Didn't know a whole lot else about him. But during the time of COVID-19, three different people from his Sabbath school have told me what a great teacher 
He is. The, the, in his COVID-19 Sabbath school, the, he is amazing at sharing insights into the Word of God. So when Don told me that he wanted to, to lead a small group, I thought, praise the Lord. I had no idea this existed until this smaller group of people that he's gathering with during COVID-19 told me this about Don. But in his family, there are not just one, but two teachers. Because his wife, Liza, who is going to be even more embarrassed that I'm mentioning her, she actually is an elementary teacher. But, but you know what Liza has told me? Because I've told her how impressed I am. She taught one of my sons. I told her how impressed I am that she, she can teach kids. She said, oh, but Pastor, don't ever make me talk in front of adults. I can't. I can't speak in front of adults. I'm, I'm not comfortable teaching adults. Liza is in a small group already. And two members of that group have told me this. I don't know if Liza's heard this or not, but two members of that group have told me this. Liza has some of the best spiritual insights. And, and she has a way of communicating them in a way in which they stick. And then this person began to give me an example. And she said, see, she said this like weeks ago and it's still in my mind. I still remember what she said. Pastor Chad, I can't teach adults. Don't ask me to ever do that. Don't ask me to get up front and to, uh, to do the story in front of all the adults. She would never get up here and speak knowing that, that all of you are watching. But you know that she has the talent of teaching kids. But I believe she has a spiritual gift of teaching the Word of God. And where she's developing this, where this is discovered, is in a small group. I would have never known this about Lori in the larger setting in Georgia. I would never know this about Dawn or Liza in a larger setting. But in the smaller groups, this is what's been discovered about them. As we stay large, we must grow small. So we can truly be the body of Christ. That is so that everyone can use their gifts. And the gift doesn't have to be for the common good of 2,000 people. It can be for the common good of three or four or five or ten people in their group. We must no longer be satisfied with the body suffering some because some aren't using those spiritual things that God has put inside of them. We need your gifts. We need your gifts. And I believe the best place to discover those gifts, the best place to grow those gifts, is within the context of small groups. And so I want to encourage you to go to spencervillechurch.org slash smallgroups. This is our last sermon on this topic, but we're going to be pushing this even beyond this sermon series. We believe that we must be a church that has wonderful worship, but also a church where everybody can connect. We, we, we believe we must be a church that has wonderful worship and has, has, has a wonderful school, but we also must be a church where, where the pastor and the leadership is, is held in the right context as, as trainers and equippers so that people may do ministry and mature 
so that they are no longer need, in need of pastors or trainers or equippers in the same way. We're, we're grateful for the staff that we have and the team that we have, and we'll continue to serve you, but, but we must, even as we grow larger, also grow smaller so that we can be a church where you will have those around you that can help you overcome spiritual struggles, that will help you hold you accountable so that, so, that, so that you can be all that God calls you to be. Even as we are a large church with some very talented people in it, we need your gifts. And it might not be for the common good of everyone, but for the common good of the body. It might be for the common good of that person that needs a friend. It might be for the common good of that, that teenager that's feeling alone and needs encouragement. It might be for the common good of that individual that's in your group someday that has to go to the hospital. And without their group, they would have no one to come around and support them. So I want you to gather today. Call some friends, two or three friends, and say, let's be a small group. And then let us know about it. Spencervillechurch.org slash small groups. Or if, or if you don't know who to connect with and you want to be put in a small group, then go there. Spencervillechurch.org slash small groups. We would like everybody to be a part of these. And this is the direction we're driving. Because this is the picture of the body of Christ. The body of Christ needs you every bit as much as it needs me. The body of Christ needs you every bit as much as it needs our elders and our deacons. The body of Christ needs you. And as we are a church preparing for the end, the body of Christ needs you and your gifts in that preparation. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace towards us. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for giving every single person a spiritual gift. Help us not to just give lip service to this, but help us to structure our church. Help us to prepare in such a way that every single person from the front row to the back row, the south porch, the side rooms, every person that says and calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ will have their gift manifested in the body of Christ for the good of others. We trust you to be able to do this through each and every one of us, Jesus. Help us to be open to it and to your will. And as we continue on this journey forward, Lord, to be a church where everyone can connect, first to you, Jesus, and also to one another. May it bring honor and glory to your name. And may you say, well done, my good and faithful servants. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.